0: We'll Hey, welcome to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martin. Hey, got a very interesting guest today. Hey, do you know anyone that was a child actor? Well, Tyler was. Got Tyler Foley on here. So he's been he's been in film, he's been in television, he's been a uh, stage performer, did a little bit of everything. And he was in uh, Freddy vs. Jason. We've all seen that one, right? Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Uh, he's currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and the author of the number one selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. Thank you so much for coming on, man.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Joe.
0: I, you know, relentless
1: positivity. How could I not?
0: That's right, man. You're the right guy for the show. So, uh, I want to start here because I'm always curious about that. So, you're a child actor. Uh, how did you get into child acting?
1: Um, I to be honest, I it, the universe conspired to get me there. Um, I, I'm, I'm a born performer. You know, if you ask my mom, I was tap dancing in the womb. I was always that kid, right? At, family events like holidays and stuff the family be over i'd be the look at me look at me you know let me play the piano before i even knew how to play the piano uh i got i remember getting a magic kit when i was like three or four and wanting to show everybody how i could make the egg levitate and i could make my wand dance and i could hide you know get coins to disappear into my arm and stuff like like all that stuff i was always performing and then um when i was six years old I got the chance to be in a couple of high school or not high school, um, elementary school plays, right? Like the little tiny pageant plays that they put on. I got to play Peter Rabbit for an Easter play and I got to play Joseph in the Christmas pageant and it kind of just ignited this spark in me. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was one of those things that were my teachers took notice of it and kind of pulled my parents aside and said, you know, and tyler's tyler really enjoys this this might be a thing to explore and between the christmas pageant and the easter pageant my father passed away mm. and you know when you're six years old it's really hard to process the um the finality of death and and really what that means and so you know, I was young. So externally, I think my mom was worried that I was emotionally shut off. The reality is I was emotionally stunted. I was six. I didn't really know how to process emotions. And I think out of worry and concern and just needing something for me to do, right? Like my mom was at that point now, a a widow and two young children. I was six. My uh, sister was two, uh, just coming up to her third birthday. And here's mom, stuck with us on her own um i think she needed something to get me so that she could she could do her and uh and acting was that thing so my uncle had overheard a casting director because he worked uh, for the city of calgary and um the main arts performance center was just across the street from the city hall and he worked at city hall so he lunch he was a perennial bachelor like the man i don't think he's cooked a meal for himself in his life uh so he's always constantly at restaurants and takeout and stuff like that so he was at, at a restaurant and overheard a casting director complaining about how hard can it be to find a small kid to play tiny tim and he kind of was like you know eavesdropping and goes, <clears throat> i don't mean to interrupt but uh you know how small was small, <laughs> you know, because I'm. It's hard to tell on camera here, but I'm five foot eight and one hundred and forty pounds, and this is me fully grown, right? When I was, when I was small, I was always the kid at the very front row, middle center of uh, of any school photo because I was the tiniest kid in the class, and uh, so I, you know, I was I was built built to play small, tiny young children, <laughs> and uh, that's that's what I did. I ended up getting to play Tiny Tim, and then from there, theater just became my life uh i went to a fine arts high school in my teens uh got into film and television in my late teens and really made a a career out of it for many many years it was
0: phenomenal so as a child what does your schedule look like i mean there's obviously there's school and do you work around that how does that work with your schedule
1: it depended on the production um and so a lot of times uh your rehearsal is going to be right right like actors are never just an actor Uh, Even your most professional, staunch, you know, dedicated actor is still waiting tables at Denny's somewhere.
0: Right. Yeah. So
1: uh, so a lot of times rehearsals are scheduled for late afternoon, early evening. So it's it's, particularly with the kids, you know, your disruption really and you're hardly ever on stage. So they only bring you in right They're They're going to workshop and rehearse the, the scenes that need to be dealt with up front and so they they're not really bringing you on regularly until closer to the run and performances are almost always in the evening or weekends it's very very seldom that you have a midweek matinee so it was pretty easy to work it around and so yeah it was it was school and then show school and then show on the times where i would have a production but that was you know once or twice three times a year tops right there's not a lot of, of stage productions that require children and then when you get into film and television you know unless you're a recurring role which i never was um you're you're a day player you come on maybe you have a week or two where you film uh, if you're a principal performer or a guest star for that for that episode um but then it then you're done and the nice thing is too whenever you're a kid on on uh stage or on film they need to bring a tutor on for you too so they've got like as part of the your call is tutelage time where they they have to provide um schooling for you which it was remarkably helpful for me going through school because then I got one-on-one attention and anything that I was struggling with I had like a dedicated tutor uh, particularly when I was doing the theatrical runs uh where I could you know have somebody help me uh right. with with my studies so it was great
0: that's cool, man. So, yeah, so uh, you found your your thing at an early age and things are going well. And then 1997, everything kind of comes crashing down. What, what happened? What, tell us what happened then.
1: Uh, yeah, so uh, New Year's Eve, 1996, I was the DD for my group of friends and I was driving and taxiing people all over everywhere to various uh, New Year's Eve parties. And I got home early, early morning of uh, 1997 uh, january 1st 97 went to bed woke up you know a good decent time for being out until four or five in the morning i think i got up around 10 in the morning and the left side of my body didn't work and to this day that we're not really sure why um you know i call it a medical incident um some people have called it a a, a mini stroke some a stroke um you know, originally it was diagnosed as a Bell's palsy. The only problem is none of those things actually explain what happened. Cause if it was a stroke, I shouldn't have been able to regain use of my face or my body for that matter. Um, mini stroke is not really a thing like they, they, they happen. Um, but the, Residuals shouldn't have been as long lasting as they were. A bell's palsy would have only affected my face, not my entire body, and my entire body was affected. so um, it uh, we don't know what happened. What I do know is that I woke up, tried brushing my teeth, and couldn't keep the toothpaste in my mouth, and it was really hard to get up the stairs because I couldn't feel the left side of my body. I had this really weird kind of oh, wow. limp happening there was function still but i couldn't feel anything and a lot of the nerve endings had relaxed so my face i did look like a stroke victim for a a, a little bit uh where the left side of my face just kind of hung and, and and drooped and it just it, nothing would work and I, no matter what it was really hard to eat <laughs> i remember the first month hating the world because i'd have to drink everything through a straw and then hold oh, my, my mouth shut goodness. um but um you know, the nice, the, the silver lining to it, and you know, I, I, as somebody who can, you know, has written a book called Relentless Positivity, you can appreciate this. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily look for the positives in life, but I always look for the grace. And one of the things that did come out of that was I had a really good core group of friends and it was real nice to know that my friends were there through thick and thin. Yeah. And we're at like my core group of friends that I grew up with in high school. I'm still in contact with today. And I don't know many people who went to high school who can count even two of their friends from high school that they're still in contact with. And I can count like 20 or 25. Wow. And we are geographically diverse at this point. You know, like I have friends who live in, in Thailand. I have friends who live in Dubai. I've seen them all in the last decade, hung out. Like we, we chat regularly. Um, and you know, even the ones that have stayed local, like I I visit my high school friends, I'm seeing at least one of them once a month. And so it was a, it was nice to know that I had that peer group that support that community. Um, it also gave me my drive again to act because I'd become really complacent with the craft because it wasn't, you know, you say, well, I found my thing. I found my passion. I didn't really actually until that moment, because going through school, it was a thing that I did and it was, it was a part of my identity, but it wasn't my sole focus. But when it gets taken away from you, when somebody says you no longer can do this thing because your body doesn't work, that gave me this, this ignited drive, first of all, to get my body back functionally, and um, secondly, to really make acting a profession you know, that really spurred my drive. So I hadn't even graduated high school and I'd already moved out to Vancouver. I live in Calgary, which is, um, inland in Canada, you know, I'm basically North of Montana and I moved to Vancouver. So North of, um, Seattle and, uh, on my own 17 years old, oh, wow. moved out. I hadn't even turned 18, wasn't even <laughs> legal age in the province. And, um, I, you know, had dedicated myself to, this is the thing that I'm going to do. Uh, I believe strongly in immersion, right? Like if you're going to do a thing, do a thing and do it all the way or don't do it at all. And so I knew that if I remained in Calgary, I was going to be a big fish in a very, very, very tiny pond. And the only way to truly test myself and know if I could make it professionally as a performer, as an actor was to go out where nobody knew me where I hadn't been doing this since I was six years old and where that like two casting directors in town knew that, you know, had my number on speed dial and knew how to reach my agent and just soul source me as a casting choice. So that, uh, that was, that was really critical for me. And I don't think I would have had that if it weren't for the incident, um, you know, because it, it did, it stripped everything away. And, and, and when that happens, priorities really crystallize.
0: I bet. So you make this decision, but what do you, what do you physically do from there? Just start fixing your body, start fixing your career. What do you, what, what were the steps?
1: Uh, well, so first thing I needed to get mentally right. Um, well, as a teenager, I, you know, particularly growing up in theater, I am most comfortable in a blank black box. It sounds weird, but like, you know, when you look at it, what a theater is structured, like, like all the walls are painted black because it absorbs the light and you know, you don't want things bouncing or reflecting. So i found a lot of comfort being in a black room to the point where when I was 14, I moved from my upstairs bedroom into the basement bedroom and painted all the walls black. And the, the bedroom that I moved into is actually uh, an addition to the house. So the, con- the concrete foundation was, was my, bedroom and on the on the far wall so i ended up I li- literally living in a black concrete box which i loved it was comfort for me but when i woke up in that environment in you know on new year's day 97 17 years old uh it didn't help with my mental state
0: i'm sure because you know, i'm
1: literally in a dull cold dark place <laughs> and and at the time it, you know it was over christmas break so i didn't have my friend's I couldn't drive anywhere because my left leg didn't work. And I drove a 1984 Honda Accord five-speed standard. Oh. Uh, so I couldn't clutch. Um, although another bonus to the whole thing, I was frustrated that I couldn't. So I actually learned how to, um, how, you can drive a standard without ever actually engaging the clutch. If you, if you rev, if you rev it properly, um, you can, you know, disengage by just popping the thing out. And then if you time your, when you shift into gear, um, you can actually shift without clutching. It's really horrible for the transmission. And, the, and <laughs> yeah. I, I ground, I ground through an entire transmission, learning how to do it and doing it for the six months that I needed to, but, uh, I did learn that, but yeah, so it was a, first of all, it was a lot of mental work and I worked with some really, really good doctors who helped me get on top of my mental game. One of the blessings of not knowing what it was, was because I never did end up getting a final diagnosis, there was no recommended treatment course. So I could do, I was free to do or try anything. And I did, I had laser acupuncture, regular acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractic work, uh, physiotherapy, um, Eastern medicines, herbal medicines, uh, chakra work, crystals, and then traditional like, you know, uh, um, those electrodes that they put on you and the, the like muscle stimulus. Um, I had all kinds of stuff. I was prodded and poked more than I've ever been in my entire life for like 10 months straight. But the nice thing is, is gradually and slowly things started to happen. And a lot of that I'm sure had to do with a positive mental outlook, you know, not knowing what the future was. So the future could be written. However, I wanted it. And it really grew from there. And I, like I said, when I moved out to Vancouver, um, I hadn't even graduated school. So at that point, you know, we're six months into the whole thing. I hadn't fully rehabilitated, but it was one of those things where I just didn't care. Yeah. And I was going to go and I was going to do it. It was a good year until I could get to about 95% functionality. But it was within six months. I had feeling back in my extremities. It was just my face that didn't work right, and uh, and I figured, well, at, at the very least, I could play stroke victims. <laughs> there <Right>? you go. <laughs> so if I had to go niche, I was going niche. But I was going to work on getting it, um, getting it back. And
0: luckily, I did. Man, you could have been the guy, though, like the stroke guy uh, for the yeah. whole the whole movie industry, um, maybe oh, it did- right? Well, missed opportunity right there. You
1: know. Missed opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess you're doing all right anyway. So speaking of doing all right, I want to get into your book, which um, yeah. the cover and the title are amazing. You, whoever, <laughs> if you did that or whoever did that did an amazing year. you guys got to look that up on Amazon. Well, um, that, for
1: anybody who can see any oh, video.
0: Oh, there yes. you go. Oh man, talk about eye catching right there. So the power to speak naked is the name of it. And did you come up with that title? Do you have help with that? I
1: I did come up with the title. I mean, it was a bit, it was a brainstorming session uh, with my team and um, I I was the one to say it. Uh, The team was the one to glob onto the fact that that was the thing that needed to be (laughs) the title. Um, and and yes, I love the cover, so a quick shout out to Lorraine Shelba who designed my cover for me. Um, she was able to translate a vision that I had in my head. It was in very short order uh, and get the mock-up done. I actually she had no time to do that. I was doing a speaking tour in Texas and Florida in late, I think it was uh, 2018. And um, she literally had about three days to put it together. And originally the cover was very ego driven. It was a cover of my face. You know, it's my headshot and I was all like, you know, power to speak naked and stuff. And it, it didn't, it wasn't really serving the content of the book. And so she sat, she was like, you know, we'd had all these mock-ups and I hated them all. And she goes, well, what did, what was your vision for it? And I explained it to her and she goes, Oh, I think, give me, give me a day. And literally uh, we had the conversation and she sent me the mock-up for that just as I was about to board a plane for Houston. And so when I I I'd sent her off a quick email, I think I was actually talking to her on the phone going through customs. The, the customs agents really didn't like me as I was clearing through security. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I'm just, I just I'm just, i with my graphic designer, it's okay. No, 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 I know, I need to put the phone down. Lorraine, I'm gonna put the phone down for a second. And I went through security, uh, still having the conversation with her, I'll never forget it. But when we were brainstorming the idea the book was was really came from all my training material and I have hours and hours and hours and hours of video footage of me delivering various training modules on how to public speak and what we had done was transcribed all the audio from the video like we pulled the audio and then transcribed it and then that was compiled to become the book and so when we were brainstorming a title for it, uh, you know, we'd had a whole bunch of things that had come up as, as placeholder ones, and I wasn't really happy about them. And so it's, it's really a book on advice. So I got my team together and I said, you know, what is, you know, some advice that you've gotten over public speaking? Cause I figured maybe that would trigger an idea. And one of my teammate team members had said, you know, well, when you're, um, going to speak, if you're going to get over nervousness you picture your audience naked and I went on this tirade about how it is the worst advice ever I don't even know why people put it in that it's masochistic it doesn't serve your audience that it is an unnecessary brain exercise that it that everything that I preach picturing your audience naked is the antithesis of it like you it it is the total opposite like just don't it is it is it is wrong 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 and I and I remember finishing this rant saying I would rather give somebody the power to speak naked on stage than to have them try to picture the audience naked. And as soon as I said it, everybody was like,
0: Ooh, that's the one that's the one. There you
1: go. The power to speak naked. It touches all on all the points. And then as we started to explore the title really does have a lot of layers and a lot of different meanings, you know, cursory, I do really strongly believe that, with enough practice and with enough conviction and with the true message that anybody could go up on stage wearing the emperor's new clothes not only not care themselves but the audience wouldn't care either because their message would be so engaging and so powerful that the audience wouldn't even be paying attention that they wouldn't even it wouldn't even be a thing that registered on their radar it would just be a presentation and at, you know, on the very surface level, that's what that title means. But I also believe strongly that we need to be able to give presentations in their raw, naked form, that you don't need the PowerPoint, that you don't need props, you don't need audio, visual, you don't need laser lights, you don't, you don't, all that stuff is unnecessary. We should be able to do what you and I are doing right now and just have a single conversation one-on-one. And if you can have that conversation one-on-one with somebody, you can have that conversation one-on-many with people, but you don't need the you don't need the gimmicks. And then on a very sub-level, if you want to give a very powerful, very engaging presentation, it's important that you speak the raw, naked truth, right? You expose yourself and allow the world to see you unclothed metaphorically. And those are really when we have the most connection with our audience. That's when we have the most change can come from those presentations so for a multitude of reasons we came up with the power to speak naked and uh i'm i'm grateful every day that i get to talk about it or look at the cover because it 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 brings a smile to my face every time i think of how it came together and just the, the process I'm, I'm truly blessed to have that's it awesome there.
0: man yeah it's so well done so well done so i always thought that was weird advice telling someone that everyone in the audience is naked i'm not i'm not trying to make connections and eye contact with a bunch of naked people right that's just a no. weird way to look at it so,
1: well yeah. and it, it is i think i think the idea because technically right so it's been skewed so i think sometimes they say picture people in their underwear Okay. Yeah. And I think we've all had that, you know, so whether it's naked or underwear or whatever, we've all had that nightmare where we've shown up in class. Oh yeah. Right. Or you're in public space and you're like, you're not wearing anything. You're like, Oh, and, and it's uncomfortable. And I think, I think, cause I have no idea because I think it's horrible advice. I think the idea is to gain power over your audience by picturing them in discomfort To somehow make yourself comfortable, which again, to me, seems completely backwards to what is a truly powerful speaker. And that is, you know, you should cherish your audience anytime you have a chance to speak in front of people that is a sacred gift and they should be your focus in a positive way, they should leave your presentation better than you found them and so. For all of those reasons, picturing them in a state of discomfort, in a state of disease, in in something less than what they came to you at, is um, is horribly backwards when it comes to speaking. So, for a million reasons, I strongly advise against it, and let alone the mental power, right? Like, if I'm trying to think about the content that i want to deliver and how i want to deliver it and where the beats are and and the time span that i have to do this and is my audience engaged with me those are all things that require mental attention mental focus and and real dedication so if i'm spending time think trying to do this uh, this false imprint on them of the, of of taking away their clothes that's a mental exercise that's pulling away from how i can actually truly
0: serve them so no i don't like it
1: yeah, i don't stop like it doing that.
0: Stop doing it. Stop doing it. All right. Do not
1: like green eggs in mean, I
0: mean, the, the surveys I all, like- they all say people fear public speaking more than they fear death. But you, you think yeah. it's something, it's something beyond that. So what, what do they actually fear though?
1: Well, so it, I, thank you for bringing it up because, you know, I, I don't know where that statistic came from. I've seen it uh, multiple times. It actually led to that famous Jerry Seinfeld joke that the fear of public speaking surpasses the fear of death, uh, which is true to the mo for the most part and so that means that people would rather be giving the be sit in the casket than giving the eulogy which i think is a, a a very apropos observation because how how horrible is that 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 is an actual reality but um the fact of the matter is people are not actually afraid of public speaking if we were afraid of public speaking commerce would collapse like there's no way you, if you've ever been to a restaurant and ordered food, you were able to speak in public. And if you didn't know your wait staff, you spoke to a complete stranger. And if you got the food that you wanted, you were able to ask for something that you wanted and get it. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public or that we're afraid to speak to strangers or that we're afraid to ask for what we want um, are all completely and totally decimated. If you've ever been to a restaurant and ordered food and had that food (laughs) delivered to you. um, The reality is because I can already hear your audience screaming, wait, 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 Joe, stop Tyler right now. Because at a restaurant, the people in the restaurant are not looking at me unless you've gone to a themed restaurant and it was your birthday and they all saying happy birthday and clapped along. And then the restaurant was looking at you. Um, But the reality is that, 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 a not anonymity in a restaurant even though you're speaking in public people aren't looking at you the reason that you feel discomfort when people are looking at you is you're afraid of public judgment and it's that fear of judgment that if i speak my opinion or if i speak up at all or if I somehow am not as educated as I would like to be on the subject and people know, they'll know that I'm an imposter, I'm a fraud or whatever, all these stories that we're telling ourselves in our head
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, are exactly that. They're stories in our head. And the reality is, is that the audience is very likely judging you, but not negatively. You know, we want speakers to succeed or we wouldn't show up at that venue. Like we wouldn't be in the boardroom We wouldn't be in the auditorium. We wouldn't be in the theater. We wouldn't show up to that thing. We wouldn't be on the Zoom. We wouldn't be downloading the podcast if we didn't want to hear the message. So if you have an audience, they're they're on your side or they just wouldn't be there. And you wouldn't have the opportunity to speak if you weren't the expert. Because we don't ask second best to present. We ask the best person to present. And so if you've been asked, there is a reason there, there was nobody else that could do it at that time. So you're the authority and the audience is on your side. So this, this perception that they're going to negatively judge us as an audience is, is false. You know, we're, we're the ones that are judging us. And so it's flipping that story, that script that is playing in our minds to say, you are the authority. Nobody else could do this better than you and know that I struggle with this even as a professional speaker. I actually have to present at a university tomorrow. Uh, And it is a a modification of a program that I've delivered many, many times, but in a format that I've I've never done before. And part of me is going, I don't know this material, who am I to present it? And then I have to remind myself, look, if there was somebody else who could do it better, it's a university. They have reach. Yeah. They would have gotten somebody else, but they didn't. They got me. And so my job is to take this material and present it in the absolute best way that that audience is served. And here's the thing they don't know the presentation, they don't know what I'm going to say. They all I have to do is make sure that, again, they're a sacred gift to me. I need to have them walk away from that presentation better than they came. They need to leave more informed than when they arrived. That could be one thing. All they have to do is take away one thing. And I know for a fact that in this presentation, I have at least five key takeaways that land well. So are they going to leave better than I found them? Absolutely. Do I still feel trepidation in going into this environment because it's a presentation that I haven't actually had a chance to explore? Yes. But I also know that in order for me to be confident, I need to be competent. And the only way to be competent is to do a thing over and over and over again. So this is going to be the first time for me to present this material, but there's always a first time. Think of the first time you rode a bus by yourself, or the first time you got on a two wheel bike and had the training wheels taken off your first kiss. How nervous were you the first time you did any of these things? Are they nervous now? You know, it when we can do a thing over and over and over and over again, those butterflies start to dissipate. And so, yeah, I have some worry going into it, but I'm, I don't have stage fright doing it. I don't need to be afraid of this audience. What I, I th- you know, my, at this point, my worry is making sure that I'm serving the audience. And that's one of the quickest ways to get over stage fright in the sphere of judgment is fear of judgment is ego-driven. It's me, 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 me. So when I'm going, oh, can I do this? Am I able to? That's going to play negatively into my story. When I go, how can I best serve this audience? How can I show up given the limitations that I have in this, how do I make this the best presentation to set myself up for success so that the next, where are my learning opportunities in this? How can I do this better? And it's embracing that, that will allow me to go and present and do my best and get feedback. You know, I am having this, one of the things that I've uh, arranged with the university is that this is a pilot project. So they understand that I've set myself up for success. They understand this is a new thing for all of the parties involved. It's new for me to deliver this material. It's new for them to receive this material. So I want feedback on it. Where were my successes? Where are my areas of improvement? And knowing that we're all going to grow and learn together, again, helps take some of the burden off of me. And that can be true for any presentation, even if it's in the boardroom and you're giving, you know, Q3 sales statistics, you can still be upfront and set yourself up for success saying, you know, this is, you know, I've never presented this information before. How did I do? What do you need to know? And really engage your audience that way. Well,
0: oh, man, that's awesome information because we're all going to have to present sometime, right? If you have a job, chances are you're going to do some kind of, you might as well do it, right? So you got to go check out the book. Where's the best place they can pick up the book?
1: Uh, I mean, the book is available anywhere. So for me, the best place that they could go is their local bookshop. There you go. Because, you know, particularly over the last two years, they are very likely struggling mm-hmm. to get business, And, uh, my publisher, Morgan James has done an incredible job of making my book available and accessible in many, many countries and, you know, on bookshelves, brick and mortar. So my first suggestion to people would be go to your bookstore. And if they don't have a copy of it, ask them to order it in. It won't take very long and support mom and pop support your brick and mortar store. If you're one of those people, you're like, yeah, yeah, Tyler, that's nice. But, um, you know. I want things to come instantly. I like add to cart and go. Yeah, Jeff Bezos' site has my book. Has your book too, Joe? Sure. I know. You know, like we can we can get it there. But, um, Jeff just flew to space in a phallic shaped rocket. I don't know that he needs more of our money. But what I do know is there's a wonderful website called Bookshop.org, and that will connect you digitally to your local bookstore and if they're interested in my book they can get it cheaper on bookshop.org than they can in the in a regular bookstore so if they want to save a little bit of money still support a mom and pop shop and bonus all proceeds uh, of book sales from bookshop.org bookshop.org pulls a percentage of it and pools it into a fund so that your local mom and pop shop, if they are struggling, can apply for financial relief and financial aid. And bookshop.org to date has raised just over $16 million to support your local bookstores. So, uh, you know, it's got a charitable component. And if you purchase my book, percentage of the proceeds go to Habitat for Humanity. So if you buy my book, you're supporting Habitat for Humanity. If you buy it through bookshop.org, you're also going to support your local bookshop. If you buy it through bookshop.org, you'll save yourself a little bit of money and everybody wins so many and wins win, yeah, win, win, so, so many
0: wins there's no phallic shaped rockets i mean there's wins across the board exactly right?
1: so i would i would strongly encourage everybody to go to bookshop.org or if they have to they can go to jeff's site or they can go to barnes and noble um but try walking into a local bookstore first
0: that's awesome man that's good on you for uh, highlighting that so uh, also if they want to work with you or they want to learn from your coaching or anything like that what's the best site to go do for that
1: Well, I will tell them in a second, in a second, but I would strongly advise them first, if they are getting value out of listening to Relentless Positivity, if they uh, are regularly tuning in and if they're listening and they're like, hey, Joe's bringing me good stuff every week, well, then I think they should reward you by giving you a five-star review. So whatever device they're listening to this now, I want them to hit pause hit pause and give you a five-star review or give you the like, or the thumbs up or the share and be specific on the review. Like actually, right. Like what was your favorite episode? Who, you know, what was a guest that Joe had on that um, really resonated with you? What is Joe said? What is, what's some of the content that Joe has uh, brought to you? Have you gone to Jeff Bezos's site and purchased Joe's book? Because relentless positivity is a really, really good read. So if you haven't done that, maybe do that too. And what did you like about the book? So, you know, if they could support you by giving you a five-star review, then as a reward, if they come over to seantylerfoley.com, and Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y, I will hook them up with a whole bunch of free stuff. So we've got the Endless Stages Facebook group, which is free training, um, a live, engaged community. We have really, really good members in there. I come live every Tuesday for 20 minutes at noon Pacific 3 Eastern time to give a live training usually from the questions that come from the membership over the course of the week so you know the more engaged you are the more uh you will be served within that community as a part of endless stages when you sign up for endless stages you get a free digital copy of my book so now you can bypass having to pay the 1795 or 1650 to bookshop.org uh you can just get a free PDF download and if you actually want to get a physical copy then we can get that to you, um, many different ways. Uh, and we're also going to give you access to my drop the mic training programs, um, giveaways. Like we, we make it all available. So if anybody wants to come over to Sean S E A N T Y L E R F O L E Y.com say Tyler sent you, uh, I'm happy to do all that, but only, only Joe, if they give relentless positivity, a five-star review, no review, no free stuff for you.
0: Oh, man. I appreciate you, man. Good looking out. You're looking out for the bookshops. You're looking out for me. We need to reward you as so, well. But so I just got one thing left before we get going. There's many theories out there. There's controversy on the internet. I need to know from an inside source, uh, Freddie versus Jason, who won?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, Freddie won.
0: Freddie, for sure.
1: Yeah. Freddie won. That's right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we want to say that Jason in the end defeated him, you know, came out of his dream or whatever, Crystal Lake, blah, blah, blah. No, no. Can't, you can't kill Freddy Krueger.
0: No, Freddy's a man. That's right. Yeah. Well, hey, this is awesome, man. Appreciate the awesome content. Appreciate the shout outs for me at bookshop.org. So we need to reward you. Come back, get getting the free stuff, man. Go get your free stuff. What What's it going to hurt? You know, no shipping, no handling, none of that stuff. Hey, thank you so much. I know everyone's going to get value from this, and that's what you're trying to bring to people. So I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Oh, it was my joy and my pleasure, Joe. And, and I'm happy to come anytime.
0: Awesome, man. If I can ever help you, let me know. Great, great speaking with you. Wow, that was a really good episode. You should probably share that with somebody. We'll appreciate that. You know what else I appreciate? These amazing sponsors that believe in positivity. McWilliams Marketing. They can help your business grow. Regardless of the size of the project, you're going to receive a solution that's specifically created for you and your business. No cookie cutter, one size fits approach here. Amy and her band of fearless marketers can help you with all that stuff that you've heard about, you know you need to do, but you don't have time or you don't know how to do it or both. And they can do all that stuff. Web design, online conversion, optimization, social media strategy, marketing, page management, graphic design, SEO, all that stuff you hear about that you don't know how to do like me. Let them do it. They're the professionals. Go check out everything that they can do at mickwilliamsmarketing.com. And Teek Patnick with Patnick Realty. He really does it all in the real estate world. General real estate sales, acquisitions, property management, and investments. Uh, you're not just a transaction with Teek; He wants to build a relationship for life. Hey, he has built his business on prayer, hard work ethic, honesty, and results. You can trust Patnick Realty with all your real estate needs. I trust my brother from another mother, Teek, and you should too. Give him a call at 256 694 or email him at teak at T-E-E-K at P-A-T-N-A-I-K-C-O dot com. It's complicated. Go to show notes. You know what you need in your life? a Lab. That's where I get all my t-shirts and Hope Dealer stickers. But they can brand just about anything you want and put it on anything you want. It's crazy over there. Now, whether you have an idea or you have no idea where it even starts, they can help you. Go check out their website at apparelab.inc.com. I-N-K on that. You can also email them at theapparelab at gmail.com and use promo code relentless to save yourself some money and get some great products. Hey, please go support these awesome businesses that support positivity. You have my word, they will treat you right and you will get great results from them. You go have a great day and let's go spread some positivity.